Solutrian alternative, which is this asinine hypothesis that someone came up with. from the archives a short podcast where i talk about a book from my library and whether you should or shouldn't read it i'm eric a professor of anthropology at cuyahoga community college and welcome to my library the books in my library are sometimes old sometimes rare sometimes normal but always interesting this podcast is recorded live on youtube at anthropology archives every thursday at 11 a.m eastern you might notice that's different because it used to be Twitch. We're moving to YouTube now. Uh, that's Anthropology Archives, all one word, lowercase. During live recordings, I promise to read all comments, questions, and reviews in a different voice or accent to make it sound like we have a bunch of people in the audience. Um, every episode, I ask myself the following questions. Who wrote it? What's it about? What are other people saying about it? Should you read it? And whether I should can it or keep it? Because ultimately, we want to know, should I keep it on the bookshelf or should we purge it from the library? With that being said, let's take a book from the shelf. And this book is right behind me, so within arm's reach. Not a very thick book. So when I originally picked this book out to talk about in last week's episode... I thought it would be a much longer read, even though it was thin, uh, just because I knew it was about um, early migration into North America and archaeology of Paleo-Indians. It's called The Earliest Americans by William Scheel, or Skeel. I'm not sure how you properly pronounce it, S-C-H-E-E-L-E, -E -E, um, who was the director of the Cleveland Museum of Natural History. Then it was called the Natural Science Museum of Cleveland. This was published by the World Publishing Company of Cleveland and New York in 1963. So a pretty old book uh, about, you know, some archaeology that obviously things have changed in the last 60 years. Yeah, I guess it's almost been 60 years since this book was published. Um, 58 years, technically, to be precise. Uh, hardback, not very thick. Uh, it was uh, about, oh, let's see here. It was only... 59 pages with a lot of illustrations. I guess when I pulled it off the shelf, I thought it was going to be a much more dense read and maybe it was just specific about a site. But I soon quickly realized that this was an educational book um, printed for the Cleveland Museum of Natural History, something that they probably sold at their gift shop um, at the museum. So clearly designed for the general public and not designed for someone who's like hardcore archaeologist. But oddly enough, they get, he gets really specific in some things and really vague in other things. But he provides some really, really nice uh, illustrations. He apparently also illustrated everything. So kudos to him that he was able to, you know, draw uh, some of these early hunter-gatherer pictures. I mean, the stereotypical 1960s-style stuff where they're wearing, like, these cloth. Oh, or this one. I mean, talk about an egregious perspective on what hunter-gatherers look like. This guy is, like, super hairy-chested. Looks like he's wearing a bear pelt as a loincloth, and then he's just holding his spear um, ready to throw it. Um, but, I mean, some of the other pictures that he draws in here are really well done. Um, like, this is a really well-drawn bison uh, antique. Uh, 
Bison antiquus, I believe is the name of it, um, is an extinct version of bison from the um, late Ice Age, the Pleistocene. So he goes into some specific details about like the Folsom site and the Clovis site. He explains how Clovis points and Folsom points are made. So some really nice lithic drawings like this, um, I guess you could say centerfold um, in pages. Well, not that you need to know the pages, but 20, 22 and 23, he shows how a Clovis and a Folsom are made, which I thought was really nice. I mean, they're really well done lithic illustrations. Um, I'm not saying I could do better, but I have done live streams of lithic illustrations. And in my opinion, I am just as good as this guy, if not more detailed. But then again, that gets into the point of, you know, lithic illustration isn't necessarily about being artsy. It's more about um, communicating information like flake scars and direction of, of flaking and all that kind of good stuff. But I was pleasantly surprised with this book in one regard. And that was in the questioning of how old the peopling of the Americas was. He talks a lot about sites that have radiocarbon dates from the 20s and, and or 20,000 to 30,000 year range, uh, which for the time was pretty controversial. I mean, he, everything I learned in my undergrad was that uh, people really didn't um, buy into these old radiocarbon dates like at Meadowcroft Rock Shelter um, or at, uh, I think, Lydeman Cave is another one where they found found evidence that people had migrated into North America much, much earlier than Clovis or Folsom, which are considered some of the earliest cultures um, in the uh, United States or North America. But generally speaking, in 2021, nobody's really contesting, you know, the multiple migrations, multiple colonizations perspective where people came across the Bering Strait. So it gets a lot of the peopling of America's part, right? The biggest problem, though, that I have is it's 1963. So it's very couched in this um, aspect of positivism, which is this metaphysics or you could say ontology or philosophy that science will solve all our problems and figure everything out. And so it's very much this like a uh, science thing is the answer. Um, anything that doesn't use science is dumb. It, it has that sort of feel to it, which again, this is the 1960s when that kind of rhetoric was common. But I think the other big problem I had with this book was the subtle racism that I couldn't tell where, uh, the author was trying to like I couldn't tell if he was trying to introduce some sort of racist ideology here or if he was just stating like oh here's some other perspectives on the peopling of the Americas like and granted I'm reading this is from the text I do not believe these ideologies nor do I think that this is the kind of language that people should be using today when discussing native North America and the peoplings of the America. But I just have to call out this particular segment that I think encapsulates the sort of mm, subtle, not so subtle racism within this 1963 book. So here on page 54, this is towards the end, uh, after he's talked extensively about how radiocarbon dating works, like when he talks about methodology and like the history of some of these sites, it's actually kind of informative um, from what I use in my intro to archeology span textbooks um, in fact, the one that I use in, our, in my class right now by Robert Kelly and David Hurst Thomas, um, I mean, they talk a lot about the same sites that he's talking about. Um, granted, they give credit to the um, uh, black, I believe he's a sharecropper or a rancher who found um, 
the original false summer Clovis points. No discussion of him, of the guy who actually brought the attention of the false summer Clovis site to the archaeologist. No discussion of him whatsoever, which we now discuss in intro to archaeology textbooks. But in 1963, I don't think they were interested in saying, oh, a black man, you know, found the artifacts and brought it to the attention of someone at a university who then excavated the site. Um, so, you know, giving credit where credit's due, you know, that's, you know, a product of its time. But this in particular is what I took issue with. So here's, here's what, um, William Skeel has to say about the peopling of North America. Um, and I guess I don't really have to do an accent or a voice because he's from Cleveland. I'm from the Cleveland area. So his accent would probably be very similar to my voice. So can I get away with saying my accent or voice is just going to be Northeast Ohio Clevelander? Maybe I should really emphasize my A sounds because the Cleveland, you know, Rust Belt accents, like put the bag over the ear, you know, almost Fargo-ish, but not quite. Uh, Such evidence is judged by men who are trained to recognize very small but important differences in skull structure. Comparing the rare old skulls of Paleo-Indians with those of more recent Indians, These scientists argue that the red-skinned people, again, this is his words, not mine, not how we would want to say it today, may not have been the descendants of the original Americans. Some anatomists favor the view that the early hunters resembled the dark-skinned primitives, Australians. Still others favor a brown-skinned Melanesian, but whatever the belief, the most most scholars agree that a people of well-mixed racial traits made the journey from Asia. Now, the problem I have with these sorts of quotes are he says this a couple times where he's trying to imply that Paleo-Indians are not the ancestors of modern Native American groups, which is just mind-boggling that he could, in the same book, give all these details talking about radiocarbon dating and all of the clear evidence that we have of you know crossing a land bridge, and then simultaneously drop some hints at... Um, Oh, maybe it was people from Europe came across a land bridge that connected Greenland, Iceland, and the North America, and they walked across from Europe to get here. I mean, it's a bad hypothesis for many different reasons. Um, the first of which is um, Seleucian points are roughly 40,000 years older than Clovis and Folsom points. So you have a sort of issue of, well, why is there a 40,000 year gap between Seleucian uh, technology and Folsom and Clovis like what were they just hanging out in Greenland for 40,000 years or something so I mean there's a lot of issues with the solution hypothesis um, so it's honestly it's a mixed bag uh, for a book uh, from 1963 it has some good components but I would say it largely has a lot of bad components um, ironically I think it still has a lot to hold up in the sense of Um, you know, the age ranges like 20 to 30,000 years ago. It's not something controversial today. I mean, what, like six or seven months ago, back in 2020 over the summer, uh, a cave in Mexico was excavated where they had dates pushing, you know, some of the earliest Americans at like 30,000 years before the present, you know, a lot old, like these are tens of thousand years earlier than what some people think with Clovis and Folsom, which we now all understand is not the first peopling of the Americas. They're just one of the most widely pervasive in North America. And, he, you know, he talks about that in this this book as well. It's just, it's got these racist kinds of, like, you know, 1960s-style ways of talking about Native Americans and then the Salutrian hypothesis. And, oh, I have something else bookmarked in here, too. Uh, it looks like... 
Oh, yeah. Talking about, you know, migration from Russia to um, North America. Like, there's a lot of interesting things in here. And honestly, I would say the highlight is the illustrations that he does. I mean, his illustrations are really cool, really nice 1960s-style illustrations. Like, this one on this page shows um, stratigraphy and how that works. Um, you know, kind of gives some really good introductory stuff. If I was a kid in the 1960s, this probably would have been a really helpful resource that would get me into archaeology. But in 2021, yeah, I just don't necessarily see it holding up under the scrutiny of, you know, there are better books that we could probably get away with um, or not get away with. Get away with is not the right word. There are probably better books that we could um, uh, talk about in 2021. Now, Obviously, I'm supposed to ask my usual questions, you know, who wrote it? William Skeel, um, he has his little about page in the back. I didn't really find much else about him. So I'm guessing from my understanding, especially in the 60s, back in this era where professional archaeology was so young that, you know, if you were a white male and you had any sort of background, you could get the job. Whereas today, like you could have a master's degree, 15 references and five years experience and still struggle to get a job, you know, different times. But here's our about the author that William Skeel gives about himself. Uh, William Skeel, director of the Natural Science Museum of Cleveland, was born in that city in 1920. He won scholarships in art and biology and was graduated from Western Reserve University in 1947. In 1939, he won the first annual bird art contest. So like he goes on and talks about how he's really into birds and nature and drawing. And then he started working for the museum and has been there ever since. He wrote a couple other books, The Mound Builders, The Cave Hunters, and Prehistoric Man and the Primates. I can only imagine those ones are also couched in 1960s style perspectives on archeology. span um, I'm really curious what the Mound Builders one looks like because I'm sure that one has radically changed. Um, in the last 60 years. But uh, what other people are saying about this book? Uh, yeah, it's a 1963, like, really brief educational gift shop book. So I, I could not find any reviews of it on Amazon. It's on Amazon. It's listed. But nobody's reviewed it. Nobody, I can't find it on Goodreads. Um, oh, I did find, however, The Mound Builders. One person rated it uh, three out of five. Um, prehistoric animals is also by him prehistoric uh, man and primates but this book does not appear on goodreads i could not find it um uh by william skeel a passion for nature the art of william skeel so yeah it's 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 not bad entirely it's definitely a mixed bag but for 1963 it could definitely be a lot worse so i guess the the roundabout circling back to um would i can this or keep it i mean the artwork in my opinion is worthy enough and it's so thin that i kind of want to keep it but at the same time the content of the material doesn't really add any new value that i don't already have from other books that are more modern and up to date that talk about um paleo uh, paleo indians and the peoplings of the americas so at least from my bookshelf it doesn't really serve a big function um, but I think what I might do is if someone were to want this book, I would donate to them. Otherwise, I'm really tempted to just sort of cut the artwork out and maybe make a collage of the artwork because, I mean, it is really nice artwork in here. And I would say the book is worth it for the artwork alone, just for the size of it. But for the content of it, it's not really um, anything to write home about. It's um, you could do a lot worse for understanding the early 
history of or early prehistory of Native North America, ah. if I can say my words of Native North America. But yeah, I would say this is not anything that you need to run out and buy. So I guess if I have to give this my review, I would probably give this I'd probably give this a solid 2.5 or a three out of five. I'm leaning more towards the three out of five. Again, should I wholeheartedly remove it because of the 1960s ways of speaking about race? I mean, you know, at that, at that measure, then, you know, on the origin of species should probably be canceled and removed too, because Darwin certainly wasn't exactly speaking like we would in 2021. Um, But we can't deny that on the origin of species had a profound impact on, on um, science now is this on the same level as on the origin of species no by any means no so i'm probably leaning more towards 2.5 out of five uh yeah so if someone wants this you know reach out to me on on my uh, telegram anthropology archives we've got a little telegram chat on there um you reach out to me through the youtube channel or through twitch or through any of the different ways that you can reach out if you want to um, have this book because the artwork in it is really neat and you know if no if i get no takers it's going in the book bin until we maybe find a taker and then we'll probably phase it out from there because the book bin so far consists of only two other books our book bin so obviously if i can it um there's the possibility of just straight up recycling and so far i've only recycled two books otherwise they're up for donation and the only other two that are up for donation right now are Creekside is still waiting for someone to take and Chinatown economic adaptation and ethnic identity of the Chinese so we're slowly working our way there I will add the earliest Americans to that sample of still interesting enough and worth you know looking at if nothing else but not not so bad that it needs to be recycled so you know the the tier list I'd probably say you know there's keep it there is um, donate it to someone else there is salvage some of the artwork and recycle it and then there is the bottom tier which is nothing else about it is salvageable just recycle it so last week's dictionary episode with the thesaurus yeah that, that bad boy was just recycled nothing to redeem about that um so those are the tiers that i have i would put the earliest americans in donate and if nobody wants it i'm keeping the artwork for this and probably putting it in a fun collage or something like that and we'll see how many collages I can assemble over the course of this this series. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's recording, um, or this week's episode, I should say. Um, next week, we're probably going to do a little bit different format. Um, I'm either going to be doing, um, while well, I'd reach and grab it, Invitation to Archaeology by James Dietz, uh, which is a really short read um, on archaeology from 1966. Or if I can get my co-host to record an episode in advance with me, we probably won't do it live, but um, the other book we're going to be reviewing is Jet Set, which is a strong divergence from our previous books that we talked about. But it is a young adult novel written in 2008. Definitely not in my wheelhouse, but I think it'll be interesting to talk about something that's very far afield from the earliest Americans, 1963 book about uh, the peopling of America to... um, a young adult novel about a teenage girl going to a Swiss boarding school. <laughs> so that'll be an interesting shakeup to things. And we'll have more young adult novels like that, probably sprinkled throughout, maybe once a month, maybe every other month. We'll see how often we get to them and how often I can get my co-host, my wife, to join me on those episodes. So 
stay tuned for that as it develops. Remember, we're going to be on YouTube Live now instead of Twitch from here on out. And until then, never stop reading. is produced by Aaron Olson, and its theme song is Lukewarm Hazy by Asher Falero.